Well, the thing is, like, Black people and Black Japanese people are in Japan. Black people have, Black foreigners have lived in Japan for a, a long time. Um, even though a lot of people think that there's Black, they don't think there's Black people in Japan. We exist. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. On May 25th, George Floyd, an unarmed black man, was killed by members of the Minneapolis Police Department. The video of his death that emerged shortly afterwards is absolutely abhorrent and sparked widespread protests in the US and around the world, including here in Japan, where we've seen demonstrations against police brutality in Tokyo and a march organised by Black Lives Matter in Osaka. Today, we hear from staff reporter Ryusei Takahashi about last weekend's demonstrations in Tokyo, as well as Black Lives Matter Kansai organizer Ayana Wise about the Osaka marches. And later in the show, Japan Times contributor Austin Freeman recounts his experiences of police harassment here in Tokyo. So Ryusei, around the world recently, we've seen protests relating to and organised by the Black Lives Matter movement following the death of George Floyd. What's been Japan's version of this? So three days before the killing of George Floyd, a Kurdish man in Tokyo was sort of roughed up by police officers. The nature of how Tokyo police treated the Kurdish man is the subject of ongoing protests in Tokyo. And so on Saturday near Shibuya Station, two protests were held. One was a demonstration to speak out against police brutality against foreign residents in Japan, specifically the the treatment of the Kurdish man. The second protest was a demonstration in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, which was obviously triggered by the, the killing of George Floyd and the worldwide protests that ensued afterwards. And separately on Sunday... Black Lives Matter Kansai held a protest in Osaka, which brought together about a thousand protesters. Okay, so we've had three different but related demonstrations that took place last weekend, two in Tokyo and one in Osaka. You went to report on and photograph the Tokyo iterations of these demonstrations. So I'll ask you mainly about those. What was the atmosphere like? It's hard to describe it, but the protest felt like a healthy public demonstration. A lot more people showed up than I expected. Uh, In the lead up to Saturday, there was some talk about certain groups joining the protest that made other participants, and especially the Black Lives Matter Japan chapter, sort of weary of endorsing the demonstrations. But um, and this is the group known as CRAC or C R A C, which stands for the Counter Racist Action Collective. Uh, It's a Japanese group that has a reputation for being a bit more rowdy when it protests. Yes, apparently. But on the day of, there weren't any issues that I saw. Um, There are a few heated encounters between maybe an individual or two sort of shouting things while protesters were on the megaphone. But that's natural with any protest. People sort of speaking out against the marchers while they're, they're doing their thing. But essentially, the two Tokyo demonstrations were completely peaceful. Yeah, they were they were completely peaceful, as far as I saw, um, and well-organized. Partway through the march for the, the police brutality demonstration, they started yelling, fuck the police, straight up to the faces of 
Tokyo police officers, which is a little uncharacteristic of a public demonstration in Japan. But, you know, they're protesting. Yeah, and these protests are specifically related to the issue of police brutality. So these kinds of chants aren't really that surprising. So we have two of these marches in Tokyo. One's in solidarity with the Black Lives Matter movement, um, though it's not officially organised by the Tokyo Black Lives Matter chapter. And the other one was about police brutality against foreigners. What do we know about what that group was demonstrating against? So the police brutality march on Saturday revolved around sort of the questionable uh, treatment by Tokyo Metropolitan Police of a Kurdish man of Turkish origin. According to the police department, the man overtook a patrol car while driving. And the statement said the man declined to present his driver's license and then began to drive off, at which point police stopped the car, removed him from the vehicle, and forced him to kneel to avoid passing traffic. A video recorded allegedly by the Kurdish man's friend emerged and got a whole lot of attention on the Japanese internet. It even sparked a few protests in Turkey. And regardless of what the video shows or the statement explains, uh, it led to several protests. A week before the protest on Saturday, there was another one for the same reason. Um, During that protest, one individual was arrested. And how significant were these as protests? The fact that hundreds of people showed up, uh, which is a big amount for a public demonstration in Tokyo, I believe speaks to a topic that doesn't go discussed very often. Racism and the treatment of foreign residents in Japan are topics often avoided by media and in public discourse. And I think protesters on Saturday saw the incident as a reason to rekindle that conversation. And for supporters of the Black Lives Matter movement in Japan and those wishing to speak out against racism and racial prejudice and police brutality, uh, this is this is the perfect opportunity to not only educate the public, but clarify their ideals. These marches are some of the first major public gatherings since the coronavirus made itself known in Japan, at least certainly since the state of emergency ended here. What precautions are organisers and people attending the protests putting in place against the coronavirus? Well, based on what I saw on Saturday, both groups, um, all protesters were wearing masks as much as anybody is in Tokyo right now. I saw people passing out hand sanitizer, um, masks to people that weren't wearing them, and leading up to the demonstrations on Saturday, organizers on Facebook were telling people to make sure to take care. If you have any pre-existing conditions or health concerns, you shouldn't feel bad and you should stay home. As protests around the world and in Japan continue, I think a lot of people are concerned about the coronavirus pandemic, which is obviously ongoing. But protesters believe it's worth the risk. And the World Health Organization said earlier this month in a press conference that protesters obviously need to take precautions against the virus, but at the very least, they have the support of the WHO. What future demonstrations are coming up? So this Sunday is the big one. Um, The Tokyo branch of the Black Lives Matter movement is holding a public demonstration on Sunday near Yoyogi Park. A surprising amount of protesters showed up last Saturday, but based on what I've seen on social media, I think we can expect a bigger crowd this week. 
How did the march in Osaka go for you last weekend? Uh, well, it was all around positive. We had a lot of people come. We had speakers and people were moved to tears. That's Ayanna Wise, who's one of the organizers of Black Lives Matter Kansai and one of the hosts of the podcast, Curly in Kansai. And the energy was just all together, like a warm feeling and people outside of the march, like outside, like looking at us marching, were wondering what was going on. Some people were putting up their fists who understood what was going on. Many took flyers. Some joined in the march in the middle. It was a very, very diverse crowd, I believe. There was a lot of foreigners and there was also Japanese nationals. And I think within the foreigners, it was a multiple ethnicities and all ages from students to the elderly came as well. So it was very like an overwhelming, good feeling. And I was really happy that so many people, different kinds of people could come. And how many people do you reckon turned up in total? We were told that there were 2,000 people. The news outlets said over a thousand. So we didn't get like an official number because I think no one really knows the official number. But it was definitely over a thousand and maybe closer to 2,000. Which is pretty remarkable, actually, because am I right in saying it was all organized within the span of a week? It was organized in five days. (laughs) (laughs) So how did the Black Lives Matter movement come together in Kansai? Well, (laughs) the story basically was two of my friends, they're not black, but they did a poll on Instagram to see who was interested. And they tagged my page, which is Black Creatives Japan. And then I said, hey, I can help you get some advice, maybe help set up a team. And then I have experience, like maybe three to four years experience moderating and administrating Facebook groups. So I said, like, let's get this together. I know what to do. Um, let's make a Facebook page and Instagram and Twitter. But uh, the group is what I made the first day, which was on Tuesday, June 2nd. <laughs> so June 2nd, we did all of that. And those two ladies, they already had a plan to go to the police and get all the licensing and permit and information that they needed for the march. So they were actually a step ahead for me with that. And while I was working more on the social media aspects and getting people together in one spot so we can share or announce the information. And how was that process of licensing? Because obviously, as you said, it's like five days turnaround from the idea of the march to actually putting it on. So it sounds like the police were pretty cooperative oh they were very nice so the friends that we had doing the the instagram poll one is a white girl from uk and the other girl is um japanese peruvian so we got her the japanese peruvian to go uh to the police and i think she also brought in another japanese friend to go with them um just to make sure that the police are okay they can speak japanese they can do all this uh the paperwork in japanese but anyone can get a license or a permit for for any large group gathering outside in the public. Then we also needed to get a permit or permission for the park that we were stopping at. And that park, they charged us, of course. So it was like 670 yen per 100 people. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's a strange strange figure. It is. And it's like we had to give a number of people that were coming but it's yeah. like, how are we supposed to know how many people are coming when it's a march? <laughs> so we gave an estimate. But the thing is, we gave an estimate of like 200 people. So <laughs> we 
we paid a lot less for how many people that actually came, <laughs> but they didn't seem to mind. <laughs> You'll get some nice park collector sending you a, a bill for a few thousand I, later in Maybe. The day. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, we haven't got anything yet. <laughs> so, yeah, all of that happened within a few days. So while we were waiting for the, like, official okay and the stamping, we were still, like, in the background in face uh, Facebook groups saying, this is what we're going to do. We're going to do it on Sunday. We're going to give you all the other information as soon as we get the official okay. So like the first hour that I made the group on Tuesday in June, June 2nd, there was over 100 people and it just kept growing like every hour. <laughs> Were you surprised by the, the response to it? Um, I was only slightly surprised because I wasn't sure how Kansai people would um, react. I know that there are a lot of foreigners in Japan that want stuff like this to happen but a lot of times Tokyo is the first one to do everything and to be honest I thought Tokyo was going to have the march like the same weekend and we were going to have it but there was some um I guess complications on their part getting the permit there were other I guess marches or protests but it wasn't the same Black Lives Matter kind of group that was um mm-hmm. organizing it so when I found out they did they didn't have it yet I was like oh, okay I guess we're going to be the ones first with this big group So I want to ask you, you know, what what was your main objective with the march? What do you hope that it achieves specific to Japan? Well, we wanted to make the march just to raise awareness as well as show solidarity and support with the U.S. and what's been going on right now. And also there are things that we believe that Japanese people need to know what's going on outside of their country, especially those who really enjoy U.S. pop culture and um, and like other entertainment, anything that is involved with Black culture, which is a lot of U.S. culture. And we feel like if you love Black culture in the U.S., that you should also realize that there's things going on in the U.S. that's really terrible, that's affecting everybody, especially Black people who live in Japan and Black Japanese people who are born and raised here. Generally outside of the marches that you that you just held. How difficult is that conversation to have with Japanese people about race? Well, for me personally, I don't talk to Japanese people I don't know well um, about mm-hmm. racism. And I also don't speak Japanese that well or that high enough to talk about race if it's going to be a conversation in Japanese. I have a few friends that I talk to um, in English about racism Uh, in general and in Japan, and they are usually received well. And a lot of times, though, they're just very ignorant, so they don't know, like, oh, this happens. So lately, especially with now people making slides or posts in Japanese about racism or systemic racism and anything that's happening in the U.S., it's a bit easier now for me to pass along that information. But before, um, before this time, it was a little bit difficult to explain everything. But a lot of times, like I said, I talked to my friends that could speak English. So if they were confused, they would do their own research. And do you think the marches that you held last weekend and the upcoming marches in Tokyo, do you think it will do much to change the conversation and perhaps make it easier to have in the future? I feel like this march particularly helped 
open up people's minds and like wake them up and be like, oh, these things are happening. But a lot of people might think it's a trend, especially Japanese people, if they're not really sure or really understand what's going on. They see a march and they say, well, I like black culture, so Black Lives Matter. Um, they will join the march, maybe. I don't know. I didn't talk to everybody. But I do think if we continue our efforts by uh, always posting and maybe doing, not maybe, but doing more events and such and doing more marches across the country, that more people would be interested in knowing more information. We have gotten requests from schools and people asking how to include some information or history in their program. Maybe more so from private schools. I don't know about public schools, but I feel like it's a start. So I'm really happy that people are interested and I just want them to stay interested so we can make the world a better place, <laughs> for lack of better words. <laughs> <laughs> and and sorry for putting it so bluntly, but I am interested in your answer to this. So why do you think the Black Lives Matter movement does matter to Japan? Well, the thing is, like, Black people and Black Japanese people are in Japan. Black people have, Black foreigners have lived in Japan for a, a long time. Um, even though a lot of people think that there's Black, they don't think there's Black people in Japan. We exist. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also, Black Japanese people may feel ex excluded or ostracized in the Japanese society due to their color. They get teased a lot growing up. There are racial biases there are um, places that don't hire them just because of something, because they're different. They think they're foreigner at first. So just like other countries in the world, I feel like Japan needs to also be held accountable for their anti-Blackness and their, their racism. It, uh, it might not be as blatant, but it's there. Do you think the movement has the potential to also open up a broader dialogue about race in Japan? I would like it to, um, but maybe... I'm not sure if the BLM movement would be the one to focus on that, but it can open to that. So if people are um, interested, we can share more information, but our focus will be with Black Lives. Was there much in the way of negative reception either on the day or? On the day of, there was no negative, um, there was no negative reactions they, we did have an issue on Twitter about a guy uh, who threatened to come to our march to cause trouble. We did see him, and he had a Confederate flag uh, shirt on, with, and then uh, his friend was with him. Tasteful. Yeah, yeah. And somebody took a picture of him, and then they also saw him leave. So he didn't do anything to us, but also we just thought it was ridiculous for him to give us these threats online. We did tell the police beforehand, but I believe they said to us, just don't interact with anybody that's going to give you trouble. And if he did give us trouble, they will probably intervene anyway. I, there, was, there was some pushback on Twitter about our march from certain foreigners, I would say, that are not Black, and then um, Japanese people because of the whole coronavirus. We want to just make sure that we follow the... Um, you know, the protocols into stop preventing the spread. And we did our best with social distancing, but it's really hard for a march and everybody being in a, a park <laughs> where thousands of people held. Um, but, but we did our best and we just want to make sure that we're not here trying to 
make others sick. We just want to be heard. And what do you have planned for the future? You've you know hosted one very successful march. I, I, it's interesting. I'm just like if in a way hearing a thousand feels small when you hear of the numbers in the US, but we encountered this problem and talked about it on this podcast yeah. when we were talking about the climate marches as well. And actually for Japan, attracting numbers in the thousands is pretty significant yes so yeah so you've had this one successful march so far what what do you plan to do for the future with the black lives matter movement in kansai and perhaps across japan for as a group we are still in discussion about what we want to do but i know that we've loosely said that we want to do more events that help and maybe don't donate to the movement also in the united states for me personally i want to continue uh the fight with the group, but also continue what I've been doing with Black Creatives Japan, which is also share awareness of other creatives. Because a lot of times, the reason why I started Black Creatives Japan was that um, a lot of times Japanese people think we only like certain kinds of, only one certain or a few certain kinds of media. For example, hip hop, uh, for me, when they looked at me, they thought only reggae. So it was just like, I want to share in the community that we are more than just hip hop and reggae. We do other things as well that's not typical to them. There's a lot of uh, my Black friends here that love J-pop or J-rock or anime. Things that people, when they look at us, they're like, oh, I thought you would just only like this certain thing. So I just wanted to share that with people and continue that. So to me, at first, before Black Lives Matter, my fight, my activism was using art and other creative aspects. And will there be more marches planned? I hope so. We are also helping other cities um, plan. For example, there's going to be a march soon for Fukuoka, I believe on the 21st. There's also a team in Nagoya that wants to do one. And of course, Tokyo is going to have theirs. That was Black Lives Matter Kansai organizer Ayana Wise. You can hear more from her by looking up her podcast, Curly in Kansai. That's Curly with a K. Before that, we heard from Ryusei Takahashi. His reporting and photographs from the protest last Saturday can be found on the Japan Times' website and its Instagram feed. Links, as always, are in the episode notes. Before we move on, I want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners who've rated and reviewed the show. And would like to ask those of you who haven't yet to consider doing so. It helps others discover the show and we really value all the feedback we receive via those reviews. Now, for the rest of the show, I'm going to be handing over to Japan Times contributor Austin Freeman, who will be reading a version of a piece he wrote back in January, talking about the police harassment he's faced here. What I like about this piece and... Austin addresses this too, is that although the overarching topic, police harassment, is negative, Austin's story is actually one of action successfully taken, action that led to improvements in his life and gave him a sense that things can actually improve. Before we began recording, I asked Austin whether he'd be able to update the ending of his piece to reflect his thoughts in the five months that have passed since he wrote it. Understandably, he had a lot to say. And what he gave me was powerful born out of frustration, exhaustion, and a continued belief that we can do better. Here's Austin. I was leaving my apartment a few days before Halloween and had made it no farther than a few steps before I was beckoned. 
or excuse me in Japanese, came the call from two on-duty cops. I was just running out for some ice cream, but now I'd have to go through an all-too-familiar song and dance of proving my identity. The police rode over on their bikes and quickly went into their routine. They asked to see my residence card, and I immediately complied. The questions that followed were simple ones and all in Japanese. Where are you from? What are you doing in Japan? Do you live in this building? All of this information is printed clearly on my residence card, but they wanted me to explain it verbally. When I told them I live in the building we were parked in front of, they reacted in disbelief, as if a non-Japanese, black 20-something could afford to live in a nice part of Koto Ward. I let the officers know that I was just heading out to 7-Eleven, which was within view from where we were standing, but they wanted to do a security check, a pat-down, just to be safe. I usually comply with the request, but this time I decided not to grant permission. They respected my decision, but still insisted on checking my wallet for dangerous materials. What ensued was a 20-minute debate regarding the legality of searching my possessions. The police then refused to return my residence card until I showed them my wallet. Standing up for myself earlier naturally worked to my disadvantage. So, I showed them every item in my wallet and explained what they were in English. Cash, the card I use at the dentist, some unused stamps. They returned my wallet and residence card and delivered a full which translates as thank you very much, but could just as easily mean until next time. 30 minutes later, I'm in my apartment silently fuming. Most of my interactions with the police are frustrating to the point that I genuinely question whether it's worth living here. If you've been in this situation, you'll know what I mean. And it's for you that I want to relay the story of another of my spot checks. It unfolded in Tokyo's central neighborhood of Azabujuban, and it's the story I remind myself of nowadays when I start to get too negative about living in Japan. I initially moved to Japan in 2014 as a student enrolled at Temple University, Japan. Prior to that, I had done a month-long homestay in my junior year of high school with a Japanese family in Yamanashi Prefecture. There was no guidebook that could have told me what to expect as a black man living in Japan, but my homestay experience was so positive that it quashed any reservations I had harbored. That feel-good vibe changed in college. Throughout my time at Temple, I was aggressively harassed by the police, both in my own neighborhood and in the area around my school. At one point, when I lived in Arakawa Ward, I was being stopped twice a week on average for my walk home from Tabata Station. The officers would search my backpack, my wallet, and even the tiny pockets inside my phone case. When I asked them why they routinely stopped me, the answer was almost always the same. You're a foreigner. They never seemed to remember the answers to the questions they asked the previous week. Are you Nigerian? Are you coming from Lorbongi? It was so bad that one time the police escorted me to my apartment and entered, demanding that I show them my passport because my residence card and student ID weren't good enough. I had never experienced this level of harassment in my life, not even back home in California. Frustrated and out of ideas on what I should do, I turned to my school to assist me. I was living here via its sponsorship and thought that surely someone there would have an approach to dealing with this problem. Or, at the very least, they might have the contact information of the people or organizations I could turn to. Unfortunately, they were unequipped to help me. I bring this up because if you are a person of color and you are considering attending university in Japan, 
I highly suggest looking into whether or not the school offers such kinds of services beforehand. Temple warns its students that it doesn't offer direct assistance when it comes to matters of police harassment and instead points them to a police website. It can be difficult to rustle up support when you're a minority within a minority. I learned it isn't impossible, though. While my attempts to raise awareness of the lack of support I was receiving were initially met with a racist vitriol, eventually there emerged a group of non-Japanese students who offered their support by publicizing my case, and, of course, other black students who had gone through similar experiences were quick to lend a hand. I also received help from my Japanese friends, many of whom were appalled by what I was going through. Those same Japanese friends, cognizant of their privilege as Japanese citizens in this country, offered to go with me to the police department to file a formal complaint. For many of them, my being vocal about police harassment was their first instance of seeing the reality of being black in Japan at close range, and they wanted to do something about it. In hindsight, there's no way what we did should have worked, but it was a success. A Japanese friend and I went to the main Azabu police station one night and requested to speak with the chief. He agreed to talk, and a nearly 60-minute conversation ensued, with my friends and I describing the years of harassment I had received, in addition to recounting experiences that we had both had in which Japanese cops had stopped a group of us but only requested identification from the black people present. The police chief listened, apologized for those officers who had acted in an unprofessional manner, and told us that he would make the force well aware of the number of students in the area and instruct them to give us the benefit of any doubts. Then, and this is the real kicker, he gave me his personal phone number to call in the event I was ever stopped in Azabu again. For the first time since coming to Japan, I felt like I had made actual progress. I was watching Quentin Tarantino's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood recently, and I couldn't help but think of that Azabu experience again. In his film, Tarantino alters history to allow the good guys a taste of bloody revenge, a plot twist that allows his audience to achieve some measure of satisfaction that is normally impossible. I feel like my interaction with the Azabu chief of police allowed me the same sort of catharsis, an outcome in which the good guys won against what I thought were impossible odds. I realize this one instance was by no means indicative of the experience other black people face here in Japan including myself. Still, I think it's a good story to hold on to, that one time where progress was made, that one time that taught me my Japanese friends are there for me, and that maybe even the Japanese police are able to see the problem with racially motivated stop and frisk policies. And I've never had to use the phone number. I want to make this clear. I'm not in a position to make sweeping changes as to how Japanese society is run, nor how the public perceives black people. However, As someone who has become something of an old hand in dealing with the police, I can offer this advice. Keep your ID on you and stay calm during your interactions. Public sentiment may be with us someday, but for now, we're on our own. That was the original ending to my article that debuted back in January. In the span of five months, not only have we gained public sentiment, we have initiated a cultural reset. From Rome to Amsterdam, from Mexico to Tokyo, Black Lives Matter protests have erupted all across the globe, 
sparked by the public execution of yet another unarmed black man. Make no mistake, this is bigger than the riots of 92 in L.A. In the past weeks, I have seen things that I truly didn't think I would see in the near future. I have seen people who, for the past seven years since Black Lives Matter was initially formed in 2013, remain somewhat neutral or less vocal in their support, completely go head-on, toe-to-toe, with their family members. I see them now at the protests. And not only in America, I see this happening in Japan as well. I see this happening in Tokyo. I look around, and in the past week, we have had multiple Black Lives Matter protests, not just in Tokyo, but in Osaka as well. I have witnessed Japanese people, men, women, and children, attend a Black Lives Matter protest saying, fuck the police, which is mildly unsettling to hear come from a Japanese salaryman, but is also pertinent during the times we live in currently. Looking back at my article, I didn't think we would be having these discussions so quickly, but now I see Japanese accounts popping up on Instagram supporting Black Lives Matter. I see Japanese people having discussions in Japanese with their friends, their family members, their coworkers about racial discrimination. And not just about Black Lives Matter. I see them having discussions about Zainichi Koreans. I see them tackling all the conversations about race and discrimination that for so many years was just a shogunai issue, which can be translated into, you know, it can't be helped. And now we're having real breakthroughs. And these discussions, they can't stop. They can't simply evaporate. I don't believe they'll dissipate. Not after this. As I said before, this is a cultural reset. I think now what we're witnessing is more Japanese people getting interested in these discussions. They're bringing back videos of Jane Elliott and her blue-eyed, brown-eyed experiment. They're digging up archival footage of like the Oprah Winfrey show to have these really nuanced discussions about racism. And I haven't seen anything quite like it. I didn't see it in 2014 when I protested with my Japanese and Black friends for the lives of Eric Garner and Mike Brown. I didn't see it for Alton Sterling. I didn't see it until now. It is not on Black people to solve racism. We can't do that. And now I think people are finally starting to realize, non-Black people, people of color and white people as well, they're realizing they have much more of a role to do than simply posting a black box on Instagram and thinking their job is done. You have to go and confront those racist family members. You have to be that person who ruins Thanksgiving dinner. You have to be that person that advocates for us when we are silenced because we aren't in those rooms. To look away would be to ignore history. We're in history right now, and everybody has their role to play. Don't ask your black friends to lay out a roadmap for you. You have to do what black people have been doing for decades. 
You have to bring race into situations because it is pertinent. You need to do your part because this issue will not be remedied by black people solely working for themselves. We can only do so much and we are exhausted, truly, honestly. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. You need to be committed. That doesn't mean you have to go out and protest every weekend, but it means you need to do what you can. If that's not donating your time to the protest, maybe you can donate financially. If you can't donate financially, you can help amplify voices, you can sign petitions. There are plenty of ways to get involved and make your voice heard, which will make our voices heard. But please do the legwork and realize that black people are not your mules for social justice. We don't do this for fun. I, I would love nothing more than to spend the day not discussing racism because it is mentally taxing. It has physical repercussions when you are spending day to day arguing for your right to survive, arguing for your basic human rights, for your civility. And if you've been shielded from that, then I know damn well you have the capacity to endure a fraction of what we're enduring, which is really just asking you to get out and actually say something. Just use your voice. We've been doing it. You can too. That was Austin Freeman. My thanks to him, Ayanna Wise and Risa Takahashi. Links to all of their articles can be found in the episode notes, as well as links to the Black Lives Matter Kansai and Tokyo groups for information on upcoming demonstrations. That's it for this week. And until next time, Potsukaru-sama. Thank you.